think of no more appropriate hymn this morning to sing than Great Is Thy Faithfulness. That's my mom's favorite hymn. So, she's not here, but um, I know that my, my mom will um, love the fact that we sing the hymns. It might be a different take than what she's used to, but the theology is still the same. If you are a mom, welcome. I see a lot of moms this morning. This is actually one of the most packed we've ever had, I think. Um, it's good to see that... I, I, well, on Mother's Day, you don't know who, if the children are going to follow the moms to their church or if the moms are going to follow their kids. Um, so it looks like we've got a little bit of both this morning. Um, so if you have mothered any of our... Our folks, thank you. Um, we're emerging from John chapter 5, which is one of the most complex chapters in the entire Bible. And we're going into John chapter 6, which is one of the most well-known chapters in the entire Bible. In John chapter 6, Jesus feeds 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. He walks on water, and He teaches the Jews that He is the bread of life. So this is a chapter a lot of you know. The theme of bread comes up twice in this chapter. Jesus feeds them bread, and then He tells them that He is bread. This imagery is something that anyone in Jesus' time would have been very familiar with. Bread was a staple in ancient Near Eastern culture, in ancient Near Eastern diets. It was abundant, it was nutritious, and it was filling. A little anecdote here. Anything you may know about your pastor, or you may want to even give him a card for Christmas, I love Olive Garden. That's uh, where so I actually used to take my dates in college, because you could go eat unlimited soup and salad and pay nothing. Um, there was just one problem with Olive Garden, and that's what, that's, I never actually end up eating what I ordered, because why? I ate all the bread. It fills me up. Of course, I have the same problem at Mexican places, with chips. Um, but bread is filling it is today, it was back then. The problem in this passage that we're getting ready to read is that there's no bread. At least not a lot of it. What we're going to read here is one of the most remarkable, famous miracles Jesus ever performed. In the Gospel of John, we see that John actually records and, and relays a lot of stories that are his own. Meaning, there are things that are recorded in John that we don't see in the other Gospels. But in this particular story, we actually see this one told in all four Gospels, which tells us that it was a story people knew very well, and it left many people in awe. Jesus takes the little they had and makes abundantly more. So if you'll turn your Bibles to John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. If you want to, go ahead and with me and stand for the reading of God's Word. You don't have to stand. This is just something we do uh, out of reverence for God's Word because we believe that at Haynes Creek, we don't believe that God's Word is founded on the church. We believe the exact opposite. We believe that the church is founded on the Word. You can confuse the two. And so because we believe that this is the final authority, we are just uh, symbolically standing. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, is at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? 
He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little bit. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, <laughs> Andrew must be stop there. I just always thought Andrew must get tired of being called Simon Peter's brother. And never just he's Andrew. Continue. Said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. As much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Let's pray. Father, come and send your spirit now. That we can understand these words. That we can have ears to hear and that we can hide them and their truth in our hearts. And all these things we ask in your son's name, amen. This was not a magic trick. Jesus wasn't doing this so he could get a couple of oohs and ahs and people go, wow, did you see what he just did? It's not, it's not about that. In fact, we know it's not about that because these people are so impressed, they actually go and try to make him king, and he says what? No. Jesus' feeding of the 5,000 is as much about His kindness as it is about His power. I really like how Mark describes Jesus and why He chose to feed the 5,000. We actually, I think, um, we're going through Mark in our small group. Mark chapter 6, verse 34, verse 34. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. These folks aren't just hungry, they're spiritually starving. And Jesus has compassion on them. When I was, I used to pastor in Baton Rouge, and it was a, it was definitely smaller. The place we were at was definitely smaller than Covington, and there was only one Walmart. And we lived a little bit out, so what I would do is, right after church, I'd go and stop by Walmart and get some things done. And sometimes. Abby's compassion level, I was just tired. You know, you just want to get into Walmart and go. You know, just give me my whatever, you know. <laughs> so I'd be reaching for Doritos and you'd be like, Pastor Abby! I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah, hey! Compassion level was low. Yes, pastors feel that sometimes. I'm not saying I felt it about you. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't happen a lot, but there were times I was just tired. I just wanted to be at Walmart and not be a pastor for 30 seconds so I could go and buy bread. That's very well what Jesus' attitude could have been here. Because remember, it started out with him going having some bro time with the disciples. He looked behind him, there's 5,000 people. <laughs> Verse 1 through 5, here we go. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Did you catch that? They didn't come because they believed he was the Christ. He was doing really cool stuff. Okay, verse 3. 
Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Stop there. That means they're getting ready to celebrate a really, really big festival, and so the bread imagery comes in a lot. Okay. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread? So that these people may eat. Now, of course, he knows the answer to that question. He's omniscient. He's God. Jesus is trying to have some bro time with his disciples. He looks up. There's 5,000 people following him. His reaction could have been like mine at Walmart. Go away. We don't see that here. His first reaction is hospitality. Where, where are these people going to eat? That's what he wants to know. There's no food around. It's like trying to find barbecue in Covington. There's just nothing around. I've always thought it was interesting that not only did Jesus feed 5,000, but did you notice who he takes it from? The bread and the fish. A child. Verses 8 through 9. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Can you hear the doubt in his voice? I mean, you got that, but Jesus, I'm telling you, I mean, this is all I can find. I don't know what you're going to do with that. At this point, Jesus is surrounded by so much unbelief and borderline stupidity that we almost have to sit back and wonder in amazement at Jesus' patience and His love and His mercy and His compassion. Think about this for a second. This crowd is only following Him because it says they were fascinated that He could heal people. When the Son of God asks Philip how they're going to afford to feed 5,000 people, instead of asking Jesus, you know, the Son of God, to do a miracle, Philip starts doing math. Andrew is telling Jesus Christ that this kid's got fish and bread, but it's not enough. And then at the end, we see these people get so excited about it, instead of bowing for the king of kings, they try and go and make him by force a king. You talk about one unbelieving hillside. Even those who followed him in faith, their faith is tainted with ignorance and sin. We can start to understand why Mark described these folks as a sheep without a shepherd now. I think the most profound part of this entire passage is what Jesus does just before he starts multiplying the bread. Did you catch it? He gave thanks. In Jesus' mind, there is no miracle worth performing. There is no good worth doing. There is no act of kindness worth bestowing that does not honor God as the Father. Jesus is showing them where to find food. He's going to give them food. He's also showing them how to live. In a world of unbelief, in a world of doubt, in a world of ignorance and selfishness, Jesus says, I'm going to feed you, but I'm not going to feed you like cattle. I'm going to feed you like image bearers of God. This isn't Jesus saying grace really quick so they can get hurry up and eat. This is actually that Greek word, Eucharisto, it's where we get the word Eucharist, means to give thanks. This is Thanksgiving. This is extreme gratitude. Do you remember a couple uh, weeks ago when we read in John chapter 4, Jesus said to them, My food is to do what? The will of Him who sent me. So Jesus is feeding the 5,000 their food, but giving thanks to the Father is Jesus' food. Have you ever been out to a restaurant? Right now, Kelly and I are going through a gym and Nick's phase. I wish Deborah were here right now. Have you ever been at a restaurant and you all 
bow your heads to pray, and then the waitress doesn't realize you're praying, and she's like, okay, what do y'all want to Oh, I'm sorry. I mean, raise your hand if something like that's happened before. Some of y'all ain't praying. Okay. <laughs> I've been there, like, you know, we, you know, we bow our heads, hey, let's, let's say prayer. Hey, uh, what do y'all, oh, oh, hey, that's so cute. Praying. When we give thanks out in public before we eat and someone comes by and sees us praying, what we're not saying is, hey, hold up real quick while we do this little religious obligation we got to do and not get back with you. No, what we're saying is the food I'm about to eat here is as important, this, this, this prayer is as important to my body and my soul as whatever you're getting ready to serve me. To the parents in this room, when you teach your children to give thanks before eating, I like the little jingles that we teach them. They got some really cool ones too. Jack Clay knows a really cute one. But let's be careful that we don't just teach them some little jingle that they memorize and they learn to do mindlessly. This wasn't a mindless prayer. Teach them how to pray. Teach them how to give thanks. Teach your kids where their real food is. It's ironic that in a crowd of thousands of people, thousands of hungry people, Jesus, the Son of God, is actually doing the most human thing anyone can ever do, and that's give thanks to God. Jesus takes the little they had and makes abundantly more. Philip doubted. Andrew doubted. The boy with the loaves and the fish is like, you're going to do what? And yet, despite their unbelief, Jesus takes five loaves, two fish, feeds 5,000 people. He doesn't just feed them, feeds them to their heart's content. And then has 12 baskets left. And he wasn't like... He wasn't like, um, just, hey, look how much I can do. He actually gathers them up. It's not like he's being just kind of licentious with it. He said, hey, we can do something with that. I've heard a lot of people make a lot about the baskets. I've heard people do some, like, you know, five times two plus two equals 12, 12 tribes of Israel. Could be. I don't see that we have really any license in the text to go beyond the fact that what we should glean from this is Jesus took a really little and made a whole lot. We read this story and we read Philip and Andrew doubting and we go, man, these are the disciples. They didn't even understand. Did they not just think after they saw him healing the sick to go, hey, Jesus, can you uh, do that Jesus thing you do and make stuff? They fear, the, the disciples appear a little bit foolish in our eyes. But friends, let me ask you this morning. How many of us, time and time again, have seen God act consistently, doing amazing things in our lives, His glory right in front of our eyes, His power and presence so near us, and yet we are still fretting over money and thoroughly convinced that what we have just isn't enough? Two things have not changed since the events in John 6. We are as fickle and as unbelieving as Philip and Andrew. And God is still as patient and kind and compassionate and loving as He ever was. Thank God Jesus' patience and kindness and love overpowered Avi's unbelief. Not one single soul out of these 5,000 people are going to come to Him of their own volition apart from His sovereign grace. 
Apart from His initiation, apart from His election, not one of these 5,000 people are going to love Jesus until He regenerates their hearts and they're born again. Not one of these people is going to come to know Him as Lord and their eyes opened until He opens them. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I don't quote the doctor very often in my sermons, but this is what he says about the power of the Holy Spirit. This is, to me, one of the most amazing and remarkable things about the biblical doctrine of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit seems to hide Himself and to conceal Himself. He is always, as it were, putting the focus on the Son. And that is why I believe, and I believe profoundly, that the best test of all as to whether we have received the Spirit is to ask ourselves, what do we think of and what do we know about the Son? Is the Son real to us? That is the work of the Spirit. He is glorified indirectly. He is always pointing us to the Son. You want to know how somebody... Do you want to know if the Spirit's working in somebody's life? How much do they talk about Jesus? The Holy Spirit is shy in some sense. The Holy Spirit doesn't want the glory. He wants the Son to get the glory. There is not one of these 5,000 people on this hillside, there is not one person in this room who can believe in the gospel and submit themselves to the lordship of Christ apart from the liberating power of the Holy Spirit to break the bonds of our sin. We need Jesus' help to believe in Jesus. In 1992, I was six years old and my mother passed away on Mother's Day. We were entrusted to the care of our father, who at the time was an unbeliever. Mom played piano at church. Dad didn't go to church. Mom died, left with dad. He was a PE teacher, didn't make a lot of money, and somehow, somehow, Jesus took care of us. Fast forward 20 years, 25 years, to when I get married and Mother's Day now becomes a new source of pain because Kelly can't get pregnant. And now every Mother's Day is a reminder of her infertility and our loss as a family. We are faithless and angry with God and somehow, somehow, Jesus took care of us. If you want to know, you can go next door and see two, two of them. Mother's Day in the Todd family, as it should be in yours, is a day to remember not just mom's, God's grace. Despite our unbelief, despite Abby's unbelief, despite Kelly's unbelief, despite my father's unbelief, Jesus took the little we had and made abundantly more. Just like the fish, just like the bread. If you've been saved by Jesus this morning, if your life is changed by God this morning, Jesus took the little you had to offer and He took and made abundantly more. Isn't that what God does? I mean, He's been doing it ever since He looked into the vast expanse of nothing and said, let there be light. This is what God does. He takes nothing and makes something. There are many this morning with broken families, some who haven't talked to your mom in years... 
There are some of you who are moms and you haven't talked to your kids in years. There are people in here who know your kids and they know you, but you are in a broken family, a broken marriage. You are a broken soul. Listen to what John Calvin has to say about these 5,000 people. For if Jesus took care of those who were led to Him by a sudden impulse, how would He desert us if we seek Him with a firm and steady purpose? If Jesus took care of these 5,000 people in such a miraculous, that's remarkable and miraculous together, (laughs) how much more can we not trust Him with our souls? Our broken families, our broken finances, our broken marriages. Jesus is the God who fed 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves. Do you not think that He could heal your broken heart and your broken family and your broken life? I think sometimes in our marriages and in our jobs and our lives, we treat God like He's the heavenly lifeguard. You know, we do the swimming. He's just kind of making sure we're okay. And if we're, we're in trouble, then that's when He jumps in. That is not the God you serve. That is not the God of reality. And that is certainly not the God of the Bible. God is not some lifeguard who just wanting, if you would have Him, come and help you. He's the God who sustains you every single second of your life. In the ultimate scheme of things, we have nothing to give God that He doesn't already have, and there's nothing we have that He didn't already give you. Which thankfully includes our mothers. I want to conclude with this bizarre event in verse 15. It's just like, you, you could have ended with him making the five, feeding the 5,000 and gone, oh. But it didn't stop there. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Whoa. Where did that come from? You know, there are a few instances in the Bible that attest more to the ignorance and spiritual blindness of God's people than this one. And it's not just that they didn't understand Jesus' kingdom, it's that they thought they had the authority to do something that only God Himself has the right to do. Hundreds and hundreds of years after King Saul, and the Jews still haven't learned a thing. These 5,000 people thought they could institute the kingdom of God by grabbing Jesus and putting Him on an earthly throne. They thought Jesus was a political party. They thought Jesus was a social crusader. They thought He was a candidate that they needed to lobby for. They thought that He had come to erase their earthly suffering. They thought they could use Jesus in order to prop up their own happiness instead of bowing before His holiness. Church, does this sound familiar? 2,000 years later, here's the God-honest truth this morning. We haven't changed a bit. Americans are just like these 5,000 people with filled bellies. We would rather bark than bow. We would rather fight than follow. We would rather pick Jesus up and throw Him at people rather than sit at His feet and be His disciples. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ means you follow Jesus' lead, not Him following your lead. 
And that's exactly why Jesus withdraws to the mountain. He's saving them from themselves. Jesus knows that unless He establishes Himself as Lord over our lives, over our hearts, we will inevitably use Him in order to bring ourselves glory instead of Him. The only way Jesus is going to save these people is by going to a cross and not to an earthly throne. Joni Erickson Tata. Raise your hand if you know who that is. Okay. Remarkable woman. She's 68 years old. Christian speaker and leader. Joni has been paralyzed for over 50 years. And this is what Joni said she's going to do when she gets to heaven. The first thing I plan to do on resurrected legs is to drop on grateful, glorified knees. That is precisely what Jesus is asking of us this morning, and that is exactly what these 5,000 people should have done. They should have worshipped the King of Kings for who He is, not try to turn Him into something they wanted Him to be. You know, I read this last verse and I think to myself, maybe you do too, I go, did these people even get it? Or was this just another sign? Did they even really believe in Jesus? Or are these just imposters chasing another magic show? It's safe to say that many, if not most of these people, did not understand the kingdom of God. That, that much we know trying to put the Son of God on an earthly throne as if He needed as much. But what we do know is that ultimately what Jesus wanted these 5,000 people preparing for the Passover to ultimately understand is that man does not live on bread alone. Man does not live on fish alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, Deuteronomy 8.3. These people have satisfied their stomachs for a night, but they have not found rest for their souls. This morning, Jesus is not asking us to turn Him into a political party. Jesus is not asking us to turn Him into a Facebook meme. The Lord of Lords lovingly gave His own body on a cross so that you, this morning, could do one simple thing, take and eat. Believing in the gospel and receiving eternal life from Jesus means finding your true nourishment in Him. This morning, on Mother's Day, if there's anyone in here who has not submitted to the Lordship of Christ, if you haven't abandoned yourself and your life to put Him on the throne, if you haven't chased after Him with abandon, come down and find your bread. This is a world that will tell you that they know how to fix you, to fill you. Jesus says, get on your knees and I'll take care of you. If you haven't surrendered this morning to the King of Kings, I'm going to stand over here and the altar is open. Let's pray. Father, we are as faithless as we are as ignorant.
We are as sheep-like as these 5,000 people, and we need the compassion of your Son, Jesus. Father, heal our unbelief and teach us what it means to follow you. Give us hearts that long for you. Give Give us a taste for you that only the gospel can satisfy. Father, if there be anyone here who is just chasing after Jesus because He's a a magic show, if there's anyone here this morning, Father, who's just chasing after Jesus because He gains them things, Father, teach us to do what Joni said and let's get on our knees. Father, You are the bread of life. And apart from You, We can do nothing and we have nothing. All these things we ask in your son's name. Amen.